Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops, and Inprint, a literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, conducts readings, workshops, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and supports writers. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the United States with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And welcome, folks, uh, to this, our third episode uh, of Inkwell. My name is Lupe Mendez, and I'm one of your hosts and sitting to my right is the ever-amazing... Jasmine Mendez, co-host of Inkwell. I just said Inkwell. Okay, we just got to keep pumping it up, you know? Inkwell, so, the podcast. So, <laughs> we, <laughs> we know. So at this point, uh, you've probably listened to our first two episodes, and you've probably had a good time with that. And if you didn't, shame on you. Go back and listen to them. And so if you have, awesome. We love you. Keep coming back. And so hopefully uh, Jasmine will keep cutting me off every time I'm in the middle of a thought because that happens lots of times. Um, Welcome back. Uh, If this is your first time listening to Inkwell, uh, welcome. Uh, We put on a uh, pretty much hour-ish long uh, podcast looking at the poetry uh, that exists and the writing that exists here in the city of Houston, in the Gulf Coast, and in the nation. And uh, this week, with us in studio here at the lovely uh, Imprint Mansion, which is a six-story mansion with two pools, four butlers, uh, a maid... A two-story cottage in Montrose. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, our guest for today is um, someone who's a very dear friend of ours, um, a comadre in the struggle with all the things that we do here uh, in Houston as far as poetry, um, Deborah Deep Mouton. Please say hello. Just say hello. Hello. You won't get to talk till later. You, yeah, she didn't get to talk till later. But we love you. But we do love you. Um, and so um, so Jab's going to introduce our topic for the day because yeah. we have lots of topics. Our segment is uh, what's going on at La Casa Mendez. Or as I like to call it, the Jasmine's going to call Lupe out on all his shit. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, no, so just kind of, we are here with our poet laureate. And so we're obviously going to be talking all poetry things and writing life and all of that. And I just thought it'd be interesting to kind of bring up a question that you and I always get asked, like whether it's just, you know, at a bar or hanging out with friends or in random interviews. Wait, what bar are you going to? You're pregnant. <sighs> no, not now. <laughs> anyway, um, in regards to when they find out that you and I are both writers, um, like basically like, oh, what's it like to be married to a writer? Um, and I don't know if that's a fair question for us because we're, we're like, we're special, we're, we're different, but um, in a good way. I don't, I don't think that we share some of the things that people think of like that would normally happen when you have people like in the same industry. You know it's I mean? awful. Like, it's the worst experience <laughs> ever. It's not. Like, I, well, fine then. You can leave well, <laughs> anytime you want. You can. I'm going to throw your phone out the window for all that <laughs> crazy talk. Uh, so in this relationship, I think I'm like the Sarah Plath of the relationship where 
uh, all of Sylvia Plath. You didn't even say it right. Oh, who did Sylvia I say? Plath. Who you did I say? Sarah. Sarah Plath. Wow. Oh, I was thinking Stay Sarah, funny. Sylvia, Cynthia Stout. Oh my god. Who would not take the garbage out? Clearly, it's been a long day. <laughs> it's been a long week. So no, I'm like Sylvia Plath. I think like because Jasmine's work is like amazingly overshadowing mine, and we joke because like I think it's awesome that like the trajectory in which like all her work is is happening, and like I will gladly turn into like poetic manager of all the stuff that she's doing because she's trying to control me is that patriarchy <laughs> like even if i say something nice it's positive i know here we it's go. a dominican in me i it's, gotta like burst it's the like, bubble I so gotta- for those of you that don't even know what's happening this is what normally happens for those of you that are wondering like what is the writing life of los mendes so let me tell you what this is what this is is like if there's a proverbial balloon that gets blown up in the in the sky that i'm like Huffing and puffing to blow up. And, and I'm like, look, about his look at this wonderful red balloon that I've blown up for the world to see. And then Dominican Jasmine runs up and she's like, ah, it's ugly. And then pop. And then pops my balloon. He says that's what I do with joy, his hopes and dreams and joys. Joy. And <laughs> then she like looks at me, points a finger and laughs and runs away. So that's no. what our writing life is like. Like, no. uh, So thank you for saying good things about my writing. I, I mean, I, we both, I think it comes down to like we both respect each other's work. We're not in competition with each other's work. Um, And some people might think that we are. Um, We both submit to publications. We both read and perform our work out in public, but it's never with this like trying to one up each other or anything like that. Like we're just very, I'm your biggest fan. You're my biggest fan. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So then what, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, you're always trying to like every time I'm like, hey, I'm gonna submit to this place. You're like, oh, I submitted already and they accepted what? it. <laughs> That's not how that works. That's not always how that I'm works. I'm kidding, that doesn't happen at all, actually. So, but yeah. And it's been interesting because our trajectories have been different. Like I started very much all performance and, you know, some slams and just wanting to put my work out there, you know, in like a without publishing. Like, without publishing. I was very against publishing very like ten years ago. Um, clearly that changed. But um, yeah, I was very much like, no, I can reach people better just by performing, you know, on stage. And, the, you know, pe- what is my book just going to do sitting on a shelf? And but then, like, you see your name in print and like it's the most magical experience ever. <laughs> and so you're like, yes, give me more of that. So and I think trajectory wise, I think I kind of started looking in terms of writing as the vehicle for both activism and advocacy and then you know, being able to perform on stage as well as publish a few pieces and then just start building that capacity in terms of uh, being able to, to to gain agency and then also help uh, other writers like establish their own footing um, throughout the throughout the world. And then <laughs> our poet laureate just kind of raised her arm her in, the air. Um, in the air. But so like that kind of, you know, like I think we we've kind of worked a really good balance. Our writing styles are totally different. So like if anybody is wondering how we write, um, I throw everything up on a page and then I later go back and edit um, what that stresses me out. Cause it's just like a bunch of words that have no organization on the screen. And then I'm like, how do you know where the line breaks are? What do you know what's going to happen? Because I, then I look, I read it yeah. and I feel for it and then I break it. Whereas Jasmine has a well-orchestrated poem that just, she like pops out of her butt and then puts on a page. No, what you don't know is that I've been like brainstorming and thinking about the poem for like weeks. How do you, okay. So then how does that time. even happen when like your brain is even focusing like 
to be like I think in my head I've already these are the lines and the stanzas. I don't. I mean, the, so, no. I like the stanza line. The line breaks always end up changing as I'm working and editing and revising. But, but usually I'll head. be able to say like it's going to be you know a poem in tercets or it's going to be this kind of a poem or it's going to be short line poems. There's going to be a long line poem. Like I can usually kind of think about that before I get to the see, page. And that scares me. That's like and then I do it. That's like planning everything out. Well, and I'm I don't, very type A. And I don't. And I like to control things. I, yes, I know. <laughs> So, she already scratched out a, a bunch of my questions that I had prepared <laughs> for this interview, but we're just not going to say anything about that. So, but we've learned to manage that part, but and also that he's he's a night owl and he writes at night and I write in the morning, and so we have to negotiate that because there have been times where we want to write together, but he like wants to talk to me, and I'm like, shh, quiet, I'm writing. And there's times where I want to write, and she's like, listen to my poem, and I will acquiesce and sit and listen, and then I will say, hey, listen to my poem, and she's like, really. I have things to do. <laughs> I'm not going to refute that because that's a very fair assessment of my reaction. <laughs> so I'm not even going to like try to say that I don't do that. So, you know, that's the kind of support systems that we have. I support Jasmine Pops Balloons. No, I support too. I'm very supportive. I'm the one that told you to go back to grad school. Or encouraged you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a poor choice of words. I told you to go back to see, folks. I encouraged you see to what apply. That, see, everybody just witnessed it. And then it. you got in. Wherever this is in the recording, you can hit pause and then go back and replay right. that little section. So, since <laughs> we're on the hate train, we're not on Jasmine. the hate train. Well, you know, it's finally time because you hated on me the last two interviews. So, bleh, there you go. <laughs> so okay um we're gonna take a little quick pause pause i said boss um pause so that we can do the little music thingy and, and come then back. and come back uh with an amazing interview with the uh, houston poet laureate and amazing poet deborah deep mouton the fabulous And welcome back to our second segment of Inkwell. And we're back. Really? <laughs> we have with us this evening, Deborah Deep Mouton. The fabulous. The fabulous. She is an internationally known poet, singer, actress, photographer, wife, mother, all around Renaissance woman, and the current poet laureate for the city of Houston. She's a native Californian, we won't hold that against her, who now resides in Houston, Texas. She's formerly ranked the number two best female poet in the world. Deep has established herself as a notable force in the performance and slam poetry world. Her work has been featured on BBC, NPR, Upworthy, Blavity, Button Poetry, Right About Now, and the opening of the 2017-2018 Houston Rockets season. How do you even do that? That's dope. She has shared, shared the stage with so many people. I'm just going to name a few. We've got Amira Baraka, John Legend, Devin the Dude, Trey the Truth, Reggie Gibson, and most recently, Nikki Giovanni and Roxanne Gay. What? Her work has been published in Akashic Press. I'm sorry. Haymarket Books, The Houston Chronicle, NPR, and Houston Poetry Fest, among others. She is here with us in her fabulous skirt and dolphin earrings. Y'all, no, no, is that bad? I'm sorry. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. They're not Deborah. dolphin earrings? No, are they shark earrings? <laughs> what, what are, are they? they? <laughs> are those sharks tunas? Biting my ears. Oh, <laughs> sharks. <laughs> they're, they're tuna earrings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> goodness. Yeah. 
Welcome. Ever. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. <sighs> okay, so the way we do the interviews is uh, we open with a poem. So if you have a poem you'd like to read, and then we get to bug you with like all the fun questions. All the fun questions. And then you do another poem. And then we pay you like, you know, 25 bucks. And really neat. We won't that's, that, oh. Oops. It's like one of those non non uh, cashable checks. Non cashable checks. Okay, got you. Like the ones you get in the mail that say cash is check. Yeah. And when that. Yeah, sure. All right. So, poem. so whenever you're ready. Uh do you want me to say anything about this poem or just You can preface. Okay, sure. You preface. Need. Um so I rarely see positive representations of black men in the media. And so when I do see one, I have to do, you know, due diligence in paying him all of his homage. When Chance the Rapper smiles, God says, let there be, and the world blooms a new opulence. The night knows it no longer belongs. The street lamps turn themselves off, tell everyone to go home since he has stolen all of their luminescence for his own mouth, robbed all the spectrum to buffer his own tongue, inspired the stars to mimic his grill just for the culture. I heard if you look directly at it, the reflection from all 32 molar eclipses throw a tantrum in filament that they can't shine bright as all his black boy joy. There is nothing more beautiful than when a black man turns his mouth all street full of gold, all lips full of summer and teeth full of lightning bugs, socks on concrete, Jolly Rancher kids, cool cup flavored breath, super soaker soup coolers. There is something about all the shy town two-step in his cheeks that makes it hard to remember why this world feels so heavy. Why we used to dawn gangsta like there was no orange in our bones looking for a huh, huh to wildfire its way out. What strength it must take to make your teeth a glee-bound fist when the world wants your wrist chained, to let your soul unleash an indigo smirk when only death wants to acknowledge you exist, to make the red wine of your laugh a vice, the same drug we drink track after track until the angels are forced to take a smoke break, paint us in the yellow nostalgia of juke jams and roller rinks, how great it is not to be the thing that is feared or mocked for once, to just be... The violet-skinned supernatural all night To be the unforgiving black-like glow No wonder black men don't smile in photos Don't want any of their miraculous Being sampled like a mixtape So when Chance takes one Bends his dimples into crescent moons In a dawning rose sky No wonder it looks like heaven in overcast Feels fresh like a clean lineup out of the shop Sounds like a blessing That keeps falling in my lap All raspy and finding pitch But happy and here and easy Like Sunday after church Full. This is the holiest thing, the pews in our heart creaking under the weight of rosemary rapture. Because when a black man smiles, all the darkness in the world finds a way to run out. Happiness takes off its privilege, remembers the heat of his lips, melting its cocoa butter kisses on its neck like a teenage lover, all guard down and gaping sacrament. This is black and stardust and holy all over. This is the bending spectrum between hundred proof happiness and you don't want no problem, want no problem with me. This is what the world fears more than all the violence this hue can hold to be a burning constellation in the face of every adversity to get back up and be all lighthouse mouth guiding others in god once made a promise never to flood the earth again but chance's smile will be the closest thing to drowning all the doubt in its own prejudice to pour 40 days and nights of jade jubilee into all we see is hood and great gaspy vibrance is black and man in all his sunburst speaking in rainbows like the whole world is his coloring book. What? Very nice. Just happened. It was awesome. Thank you. Um, 
Uh, you normally, so we'll begin the, like the series of questions. Um, I'm just still trying to get myself together because that was a really great poem. Um, um, I guess to start off, like the trajectory of, of your poetry, um, we've had the opportunity to talk um, at length about like, you know, what what poetry can do and where you're at with poetry now. Um, what are some of the lessons you think you've learned from the crafting of poetry for stage that is serving you as you're crafting newer poems that are, that are more page ish. Um, one, I've never talked to you before. Um, no, I'm, just <laughs> uh, I'm not just joking. We're strangers. Uh, uh, right. Stranger danger. Um, I think that for me, audience is huge, right? Um, in the stage realm and in especially slams, um, you get immediate feedback from your audience and you kind of get to shape and move every performance. Well, that doesn't really work with the page, right? But I do think considering who the audience is and being very mindful for what they get out of it and what you put in that are like the little nuggets that they can carry with them that make revisiting the poem a beautiful pleasure and also make them full in one single passing. Um, I think that that's something that I probably translate from one to the other. That's that's amazing. Like it's, and it's, especially like in the, the piece that you just read, like there's so much like heartfelt language that even there's so much fullness as it comes off the mouth. Like somebody reading that from a page uh, and being able to say that out loud, like there's so much there even. Yeah. Nuggets is absolutely a, a correct term for all that. Um, did you have any, do you have one or two? No. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, what you said about the, the idea of when you're doing like stage pieces, um, that immediate gratification versus there's a much slower mm. delayed gratification yes. when it comes to publishing um, and, and response and feedback to that. And is it good or not? Or is it being received in a certain way? And are people getting it? Um, and, and I think that there's also like, I think it's interesting, you know, as, as we grow and move or transition or, you know, move between stage and page, that like um, when it is on the page, like there's other folks interpretation of it or reading of it. And so like, I don't know, do you, do you ever like think about that or how does that like shape like how you, you write your things? I think absolutely. Um, I think it plays a smaller impact than I allow it to, you know, like I, I control it because I think if I get so consumed by what people will take out of it, then I, it's hard for me to put things into it. But um, I had the pleasure a couple years ago of going to the writing writer's hotel and sitting and letting people read my work. And it was really interesting to see, like, do you get out of it all the things that I put in? And I remember listening to an argument. And it was like, I don't understand why this line is over here. It's like, it's forgettable. And it, it makes you just skip past it. And it, then like the rest of the poem doesn't make sense. And then you wonder where the tonal shift was. And then you go back and you read it again. You're like, wait, 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 I didn't see that the first time. And like, I don't like that. I want it to be pushed over here. And I was like, but why it did exactly, <laughs> right? Like I wanted you to have the moment of like, wait, where did we just go? Yeah. I wanted you to go back and examine the piece, you know, um, in performance, I think that would highlight that differently. But like being able to play on the page with the words that have seen the stage before, I think is always interesting to see how you are able to articulate body language, right? Like, how do I put that into a page? Yeah. How, yeah. how do I put in the subtleties of a look yeah. um, into the page to where it is equally as in, engaging and intriguing to look at multiple times than it is to watch me multiple times in a video or live? And um, those are things that I, I don't know that I'm mastered yet, you know, but it's definitely stuff that I love to play with. That's, 
Um, so you said you mentioned um, Writer's Hotel. Yes. So what? So d- tell me a little bit about that experience. Like, how did you? What is what is the Writer's Hotel? Yes. Yeah, so I am not um, classically trained, if that's what you want to say. It. I have no MFA, which is basically what it means. Um, I definitely did my bachelor's in English, but having someone, you know, do a formal writing workshop with me, I never really knew what that was outside of things that I picked up in community workshops or things that were offered by places like Imprint. Um, and so to to go, it was very uh, intimidating at first because I didn't know I remember how that. You're received. just like, ah. Yes, <laughs> like, I, I, I want to go, really but I don't know. nervous. Um, <laughs> and I was nervous, I think, more than anything to give my work I'm so used to getting feedback immediately. Like that wasn't yeah. it, but it was to yeah. sit there and listen to people dissect and reread and point out flaws and change words or question things. And that experience for me was very jarring at first. Um, I was great to have a wonderful mentor, Roger Bonaragard, um, who kind of held my hand through some of the critiques, uh, absolutely, but kind of also took took the great opportunity of being the black perspective in the room and saying like, no, there are yeah, certain things as a writer of say, color. I was like, was it a room full of white people? Um, <laughs> that kind of say, like, I would say there is, was, you know, I but. think one or two other black people, one other black person. And then we had a couple lat- Latino Latinos mm-hmm. in the room that were contributing as well. I was actually surprised how removed so many people felt from the work, mm-hmm. um, how offended people got with the work and not in a, I was attacking them, but I was attacking the things that they had built so much value in. Their politics. You know, their, <laughs> their, like, their beliefs, internal, their yeah, politics, yeah, they're values. right and they're wrong. And <clears throat> to be able to give that up, um, even something as simple as you put in a, a, a phrase of um, little Sally Walker, and I don't know who that is, and I don't want to look it up, and you should explain yes. it and put a footnote in. Oh, my in. God, yes. You know? Oh, that yeah, happened with yeah, me with, yeah. too, with the reference to La Llorona. Ugh. Yeah, and, and it was they, like, I don't think <laughs> that I should have to do that. Like, I don't... Yeah. You put, even the building of schema, like that they don't have a reference for any yeah. of these things that right. are just as important. So for me saying cool cups or, you know, things mm-hmm. that are very, very Southern and very black at times, um, very poor above all else, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But kind of those references of where we build folklore and culture and myth and um, nostalgia and those things were so, so foreign for them that, uh, you know, I was asked to kind of, I feel like water down at times the experience. Um, and so... Coming into a situation like that, I don't think I've ever really been there before, mm-hmm. but I would probably do it again, right? That's yeah, no, dope. That's great. Well, that's and that's good. necessary too, because I think those are the yeah. things that we constantly have these conversations about in terms of what what our work looks like when we're writing, either for the stage or the pages that we try to reach. But then that that set of aesthetics and and mm-hmm. what we try to come up with that is very not uh, what has been the the sensibility of more academic formal writers and uh, having until recently just having received my MFA in like the last three years. Mm-hmm. Like, so that same school of thought, like the awkwardness of like, what is the workshop? Um, all those. Yeah. Like right there with you. It, it's, it's a very much a, a daunting task and yeah. Like I would encourage like do that again. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It puts you I, out of your comfort zone and, right. and you see how it is that other folks are reading your work, right? You know, if you're always like sharing your work or reading it to, you know, people of color, people that understand your narrative and your Southerness and your blackness and all those things, like it's one thing, but then to have other folks that again, don't share that aesthetic or that experience, you kind of see 
you know, where they're coming at it, how they're entering the poem or the work. Um, and sometimes it, it works and they have good feedback and sometimes they don't. You just kind of like, throw it away <laughs> and you just got to ignore it. Right. So, um, well, and it, you know, a few years ago, Mahogany Brown and I were talking and she said to me, um, she asked me, did I play in form? And I was like, not really. I'm not really a fan of being informed, like, bleh, to form, right? right. I revolt against form. Yeah, I did that too until about a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I was and, like, oh, I get it. Oh, yeah. yeah, and she was like, what better place to play than um, to mess with academia, Yeah, right? So exactly. to go into their form, into their space, and then to completely disrupt it, it with up. content, right? Trisha Smith, man. Yeah. She's a master at that. Yeah, yeah. and so, so she, she kind of encouraged me to do that. And so lately I've been... Doing a lot more of that. Um, I think that transition to the page is not not as intentional. You know, I, I still look at pieces that I wrote to be read and wonder how they live on stage or vice versa. Um, my manuscript that I that I'm trying to publish now. Hint, hint, anybody want to publish this? Um, a hint, right? Uh, for me, I definitely have pieces that were meant for stage, and I tried to figure out how could I play with them on the page that people would engage with them in different ways and that people honestly would take them and say like I wonder how we read this you know like you take apart you take apart I think this sounds better in three voices or I wonder if she intended for this you know um I love that and and so hopefully we'll see some of that come to life you know my my greatest goal is to do Broadway like that's what at the end of the day I would be die a happy woman oh snap if I I could do some that's so dope that's awesome and not like be on the stage but like be the person that's sitting in the audience watching actors live out words that I worked really hard yeah. to put together. That's no, amazing. Sure. That's definite. Um, so, okay. Um, trajectory. So part of the, the idea of us putting together Inkwell was that we wanted to make sure to put out the voices that make up both this area of the region, um, specifically the Gulf coast, definitely Houston, um, being the fourth largest city, but then also being able to give uh license and agency for writers that, that we don't normally get to hear in, in other spheres. And so um, uniquely, like how, so that's a two-part question, right? Like uh, your trajectory in in slam and performance poetry, how did those origins begin? And then, you know, at the, at the age that you are now and the experience level that you have in it, how have you seen it change over time? Mm-hmm. Um, here, the trajectory or or the community the the community and and then like you know where you see yourself in it mm-hmm. um and, and what does that look like here in the city and then broader like nationally what does that look like you're asking hard questions i'm sorry um, was, no it's fine it's things i think i've been considering and now i'm like crap i gotta articulate crap um <laughs> i so so starting off i'll do the first part of the question which is uh for me the stage work started in uh I was always a writer. My my mom has folders of me writing things at five and six years old of poems and stories. And I remember specifically creating like this short, what I wanted to call a novel at like, at like nine, right? Just like seven whole pages um, of this story of like a clown gone psycho in the middle of a circus and he was stabbing children. I mean, I was very My, dark. Mine were dark too. Yeah. I like heard about the end of every holiday. And then there was no Christmas. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Was, what is wrong um, with you She even showed me a poem and I was dark. like, I was like, the world is opening and this and this, this. And then the last line was like, or maybe it's not. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I was so sad. Um, Right. So I remember at a very early age kind of being that very reflective process of using the page as catharsis, right? Of like sitting in the corner and being like, I'm so mad. I'm so sad. I'm so bad. Go away. Right. And that being a poem, um, the living it out and the talking it out wasn't until high school. 
you know, I had a great AP English teacher, Miss McCurry. If you're listening to this, I don't know why you would be. But Shout hey, you listen to this because we'll awesome. send her this podcast. <laughs> Please, if I knew where she was, I would. I've been, track, I've been stalking her on Facebook for like five years. And I found this lady. So, we're gonna find her. Um, right. Um. So she um introduced me to Slam, and she said she was putting on a poetry slam, and I was like, I'm not interested. And she's like, I sent your work to who's who, and I was like, I'm not interested, except do they give scholarships, right? <laughs> Like I was very extrinsically motivated at that time in my life. Um, and so she told me, she's like, well, we're going to do a poetry slam and there's going to be a trophy. And I was like, trophy? A trophy? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, we I'm, played Cards Against Humanity with this woman, so we know how competitive. I'm just Oh, that's you. true. She's hyper competitive. <laughs> trophies, are, trophies are everything. And my so, shoulders just recovered. I'm kidding. <laughs> so I, um, I went into it and I won first place. And then I was like, oh, this is my thing, right? Like I won first place. I'm going to win forever. And I remember the next time I did a slam with her, the boy who won wrote basically a poem that was a suicide letter, right? And and I really still to this day believe he beat me because they were scared he was going to kill himself, Aww. right? Um, which like as a teacher and as an educator now, I'm like, give the boy the trophy, right? <laughs> right. As the kid then, <laughs> yeah. like, you're a little trophy. right, give him my give trophy, him trophy. Give him trophy, give him all the trophies. Um, then I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm an amazing writer, you know, like very arrogant. Um. But then it kind of became my thing. So I did talent shows and, you know, all for money or for prizes, for trips to Disneyland and scholarships or whatever I can, like, get out of it was very much my writing style until I got to college um, and I tried out for their collegiate team and I, I did not make it and I got very hurt and I gave up on writing for a year and I told because I was like, the world doesn't understand me and my writing and my excellent writing. It's so pompous. Like, and now I laugh at it. I was like, you sucked. What are you talking about? It's terrible. Your poems are terrible. Humility 101. Right. Um, but, you know, after, after about six months, I was like, I'm just going to write for myself. Yeah. And then after six more months, I was like, and someone's going to listen to it, right? Um, and I was right back at it. And then I wanted it more, you know? And then so in my mind, I kind of put targets on people's backs. And I was like, there's something you're doing that I'm not. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure it out, that I'm going to do it better than you, and that I'm going to beat you at a slam, right? Um, and that was like still very arrogant, still very young, but I think for me, it made me start to really evaluate craft differently, right? But it also allowed you to be more... Uh, objectively like research yeah. like those people that are creating right. things that you're yeah. doing like that's that's a like if that's not more academic than the stuff that we're right. doing today then I don't know what is right? right so so it was just kind of a chasing of people and and you know people weren't necessarily in a book it was I saw so-and-so and they beat me that night and I want to dissect that poem and what did it do and what is what emotion does it convey and how is it connecting to my audience better than the thing that I did and I went into this very like kind of psychotic view of like analyzing everything around me. Um, and, and I remember, you know, my counselors being like, I, I, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. They're like, cause we see you talking to yourself a lot. Oh yeah. You know? And That's I was like, me. I was like, I'm memorizing <laughs> poems. Like I'm running poems in the yeah. street. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm just thinking through things and I'm just, I had to talk it out and they're like, okay. Right. Um, and so then, uh, I know this is the very long version of this story, no, but, fine. um, so in college, I did an independent study. I was like, I'm going to do my first book. So I took an independent study class. I convinced one of my professors to let me do it. And I created my first collection at 19. And um, it's very like vanity press. Like it, nobody picked it up. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it, for me, made me have that critical eye a little bit more. Because I was like, I have these, you know, 1,200 poems in front of me on my floor sitting there with paper because, you know, we were old, we're old and, um, you know, Google wasn't around like that. And... Um, Really like looking through them and saying like, what pieces do I feel like convey 
a story and a theme and why do they fit together and do they fit together? And then sitting with my counselor and saying, this is what I want to do, you know? And so all of that translated into me getting out of college and saying like, I, I want to be, I, I always want to write. Like I might want to do a lot of other things, but writing, I will always come back to. Um, and then following into teaching, I just felt kind of more and more in love with the craft and, and the stage was great and wonderful. And it's definitely something that I still love. And, you know, I coach the Houston VIP slam team. So, um, being around poets all the time and being able to pour back into their craft at a, at a more amateur age, I think is definitely necessary, you know? Um, but now I'm very lost. Right. And by that, I mean, like, I feel like I'm in between sizes. You know how like you mm-hmm. don't wear a 15 and you don't right, wear a 17, right, right. like you're just in the middle and nothing quite fits right. And I feel like I'm at this part in my life, you know, as the poet laureate, I have certain accolades that are really great and amazing. And my resume is actually like I read it and I'm inspired by it. Right? I'm like, who's this lady? She's pretty dope. <laughs> um, but I also see all the places I want to go. And I feel like I'm in between what I started with and where I will be. And being comfortable in that discomfort is hard, mm-hmm. right? Right, right? And so um, talk about like where my trajectory is now. I definitely being a coach and being a mentor is something I'm always going to do forever and every man. Also, you know, traveling internationally for my work, I'll get the first chance to do that this October, which is really, really great. Um, but outside of that, I am in this wanderlust and wandering area where I have this great manuscript, at least it's great to me, um, and I'm trying to shop it around, and I'm still trying to create work, and I'm in a society which is very reactionary in that there is always something every day to react to. Right. Um, so much so that at times it becomes like writer's block, right? Because like I haven't finished writing about the last thing, and then there's something else happening. Right. And so just trying to really like take myself out of everything at times long enough to reflect and to process and then putting myself back. You know, like I I feel like I'm very intentional about my exposure of myself from myself. Right. Um, And that I think is like my next level, right. Is, is figuring out how do I craft and how do I reflect and how do I embody and how do I turn all of that into activism in a way that is not standing around with a sign because that's what activism looks like for so many of us, right? Is being on a march and having a protest sign and, you know, like tying yourself to a tree and these really big, big signs of... of Monstrative, like, signs of, yeah. Right. Like, and, I'm and out in the streets. Where are you? I think those are absolutely necessary. Yeah, yeah, I've just sure. found that that is not my lane for exactly. activism, yeah. right? right? And yeah. so... It's figuring- all the behinds of behind the scene things that as well that need to get done in order right. to get that yeah. project right. But even just the, like, being the... A black female poet laureate, and the first, and the first <laughs> black, like, the first, and black. the first black poet laureate. Right, it's um, just yeah. being in that space, and 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 in that space, being able to say like, this is right, this is wrong, this is how I feel about things, unapologetically, is its own activism, yeah. right? Yeah, and that is something that I've had, you know, the last year or so has been me really trying to reconcile that like my work can be the activism, and yeah. there doesn't have yeah. to be this other, other piece, piece that yeah. always exists, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely there should be some actions that come from it, but sometimes the, the action part is not my part, right? Sometimes the creation and the saying, here's the conversation and then letting others run with the conversation is um, activism. So with that, like some of the work that you, obviously that you're doing, I mean, I know you're doing a lot and you're like opening for Nikki Giovanni and yeah, that was running around for fun. Fun, fun, <laughs> with, fun. Uh, we can talk about that, but like with mm-hmm. mayor's events and like the city of Houston and doing Didn't all Roxanne these things. Didn't Roxanne Gay hold Julian? Um, 
Yes, Julius. Yeah. Oh, her son. Rock Sunday definitely held my son. I That's tried to get amazing. my kids to Nikki, but it didn't, it didn't work it out. Didn't work out. <laughs> it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I didn't plan it right. I was too trepidatious in the beginning, and I should have taken them backstage with me. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, I didn't know if I was going to get in with her, and then I was right. able to spend like 35, 40 minutes talking to her, That's which amazing. is like life changing. And so, That's awesome. um, you know, my hope is that I get pictures of my kids with all like notable like writers. Notable writers. And yeah, then when they yeah. grow up, they're like, who in the world was my mom? What do you this is amazing. <laughs> amazing, yeah. Right? No, so, yeah, my question was just basically, you know, so you're doing all this work and, of course, all the, like, that's, that was one of my questions was, like, what's the most glamorous thing? But I think you already answered that, is obviously meeting, like, all of our idols and mentors and opening for them and, like, reading with them. Um, but what is your Poet Laureate project? Because, like, each poet has to do a project and I want to, I'm sure the folks want to know more, like, what's, over these two years, what is... What are you putting out into the world? So, so the 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 everybody who's listening kind of understands the Houston Poet Laureate is a two year position here in Houston. Um, in that two years, uh, each Poet Laureate takes the time to create a project, um, and so this year uh, it'll be Deborah's turn to to put that project together. Um, and I know like she's been working at it. So yeah, yeah what, yeah. what, what exactly yeah. is tell the, tell the world? So, um, I, it started off very small. This is the things, this is about dreams, right? They grow very quickly. Um, and so it was supposed to be an interactive map with 10 poems, just 10, 10 poems, <laughs> just, 10. <laughs> just, just to look at just 10, 10 y'all, just right? 10, but clearly. Uh, 10 poems from different artists around the city of Houston that kind of painted a interactive map where you can hear what Houston sounds like. Um, and then Mayor Turner and all of his very grandiose thoughts got to that. And that is not my project. <laughs> <laughs> and now my project is to create 48, because that's not 10. Wow. Um, 48, because that's not 10. That's <laughs> another 48, 48 um, one-minute poetry music videos that um, will... I'm sorry, I'm a part of this and I was not told there was a music video <laughs> I definitely told you there was a video no, portion You said write a poem and write a send poem, it to me. And then the poem goes to a video and then they and film you. And right. you said nothing about music well, like, video. There's nothing about music, but like poetry video. You okay. get the point, right? No, you say music video and I'm thinking Cardi you, B and Bruno Mars. Okay, well, you're doing a lot. You're doing <laughs> That's a lot. too much. Mm. Just we'll there be music much. in the background probably, okay. but will you be responsible for creating that music? I would like negative. a harmonica or okay. a xylophone uh, in the background of mine. So, so, uh, 48 videos, oh one God. minute long each. They'll roll out, supposed to be from um, National Poetry this month to National Poetry Month 2019, April to April. And um, we'll highlight 12 zones around the city of Houston, four artists per zone that will be celebrating the different portions of Houston. In that, um, there's a lot of like, legwork and a lot yeah. of uh, I have to edit all the poems and have to figure out who goes where and get everybody recorded in the studio and out of the studio so we can double sound and I mean it's a lot of work but at the end of the day you know when I first came to Houston the only thing I knew or as a visual for Houston was Scarface videos right like oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. was hip hop videos in Fifth Ward where everybody was doing crazy things and there was a horse in the background right like I didn't really know how the horse got there but hey it's Houston right it's Texas there's horses today today's the trail there is and See, then after living in Texan Fourth Day. Ward I know where the horses came from that's right um, I definitely woke up with a horse eating my lawn I don't know where he came from but he was there when he was done he moved on um, and so trying to figure out how do we show the world what Houston really is and take it out of like the stereotypical view of like 
every black neighborhood has to be a music video, a hip hop music video, right? right? And showing like that each of these areas has a very rich community and, and rich history, yeah, mm-hmm. um, that we can celebrate and all come together into this amalgamation of what the most diversity in the nation is, you know? Excited. That's dope. I'm not excited about recording a music video. Hey, we're gonna make That's sure. News to me. You get a triangle. You, you get a triangle. I get a kazoo. You get a triangle. I need you to work on your twerk. I need you to work on your twerk. Pregnant twerk. Boop boop boop. Oh, I need you to work on it. I'm gonna be pregnant during this video. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be great. I just would like to say that the following words just came together. Pregnant, pregnant twerk. Twerk. Put that in a poem. We all need to find a way. What's that? <laughs> if you're a poet and you're listening to this, we challenge you to write a poem. For the week. Do not twerk. send it to me. I'm scared. <laughs> pregnant twerk. Don't I am scared. Ansel Meadow. Um, okay, so Do not tag me. I think we have time for like one last question. Sure. Um, and then we can get on to the next poem. Um, so a lot of the work that you've done um, and the agency you've been able to provide has been part of the work um, with youth uh, in the city. And now, uh, also you've gone back to the classroom, uh, and you teach English currently. So what elements in your interactions with you, youth, with youth, um, have fueled your writing? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say, uh, they always creep into my work, you know, from, from my first teaching assignment, you know, it was writing about the crazy things that happened with the kids. Um, I have been blessed with this weird, unique ability to connect with children in a very honest way. And I feel like they tell me their stories um, and I kind of serve as the griot of their stories, right? Um, that not always tell all their business, right? But but to be able to craft things that celebrate the struggles they go through as they are related to the larger community and the larger society. And so for me, you know, always the stories, you know, I have poems about, I remember my first poem that I wrote about a kid was this young man who had had been in this really, really bad car accident and head kind of gashed open. He's had a lot of surgeries and he remembers that it rained that day, right? And so every time it rains, like he would have a meltdown. He would just shut down. He could not work. And it was just like something about the rain that was this awful trigger for him. And I remember like needing to hold his hand in the rain. You know, like like that kind of thing of like being like, hey, today we're not going to work. We're just going to try to ignore that rain is outside, you know? Um, And being just really, really like, I'm, I'm a people watcher right and so i love like i hate to say watching people like animals but you know like being in that very well, like mad at me for that no you no it's like a, it's very observing yeah, space where i can <laughs> i hear conversations i'm not supposed to hear all the time see right? like i see people do things that like pick their boogers and i'm like did you just do that like i know nobody oh, yes. else saw you but i did I, right? like, I, I always that. see the things mm-hmm. and so i feel like there's something that's programmed in me that's supposed to be telling these hidden stories and it's supposed to be um providing comfort in this very like oddly personal way and I feel like that that work that I've done with students has been the most transformative to my work of, of thinking like how do I tell how beautiful you know someone's finger patting the desk is or um how do I celebrate a student who's never passed anything all year right like and just got the one question right yay look at you shine right, right? right. um I think those things in a very like human way have informed how I look at the world around me and then thus have informed my work yeah. um so I would just also like to ask, um, so when you're observing people, is it like at a restaurant and someone's talking to you and you're looking at them oh, yeah, in absolutely. the next booth? Yeah. See, I'm yeah, not absolutely. the only one that does it. He's like, you and need to stop. 
listening to other people's conversations. Yeah, I, I actually get and so engrossed in other I people's know. conversations and or movements that I start to ignore the thing I'm supposed the, to be exactly, doing. Exactly. Madre too. Santa. Well, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm the weirdo. Uh, I guess that's the deal. Um, okay, so Especially on the subway in New York. Like when I'm in New York, oh. man, the subway is like <laughs> the mecca dope, of all though, yeah. people's stories. Yeah, it's great. Um, so do you, do you have a second... Poem? No, I don't have any more poems. And okay, um, that's the show, <laughs> folks. Welcome to I don't to have any written, more written poems. Equal, the half hour podcast. Um, yes, it's actually a poem that I wrote recently, and I had this guy, um, Lupe Mendez. He looked over it, so I, so I think it's pretty good. Um, uh, that must, I don't do that. That's not even, whoever that is, tell him that sucks. Well, I think I think he did a pretty good job with it. Um, oh, cool. But it kind of was in reaction to the First Baptist shooting. Um, that happened a few months ago. And I think it's kind of prevalent with all the things that have been happening lately in our nation of looking at gun control and looking at um, how we access guns and how we regulate them and, and the overall effect they have, I think it's worth, worth reading. And so it's called Prayer Under a Golden Shovel um, for the Victims at First Baptist. 15 seconds of amazing. The doors lost their grace in the frantic howl of wood bank clatter Sweet swinging chariot of death knows not the hymn a losing breath makes. The sound of plundered 14-year-old dream. That empty pulpit watches the body fall, saved but not surrendered. A congregation of bullseyes. A man cloaked in wretch, unmoved by God, did or didn't like, must not have considered me. Hiding in the blink of an almighty eye. Wanted to be right once. Bloody right he was. Now more lost, body count in full sprint, butchers of faith fire quicker now. This is Agni, waking in the AM, hunts down Christ where he can be found, tries to make great I am, I was, knowing only time shall return us blind, the way we have moved on before, but only consider this tragic in the now. Next Sunday we will mourn, vigil to do something I, we will load our clips before service and see. So we're going to take a quick pause uh, for our last segment, our interview, or sorry, our lightning round of questions. Which is the and most take, important portion. Yes. And you have to answer these questions like super fast. I, I'm Do I have you to first? answer them honestly? Yes. Okay. No. All right. Yes. We'll be back. We'll be back and then we'll give up. you the lowdown. You're listening to Inkwell. And we're back. So. <laughs> okay, I gotta, I gotta do, I gotta do the rules. So here's the rules. Yes. All right, here's the rules. The rules for the lightning round. And at this point, Josh has probably put in the really cool sound for the <laughs> lightning <laughs> round. Yeah, something like that. So uh, lightning round, the rules. Uh, we will give you a series of ten questions. You have a minute, thirty seconds. You have a minute. You should always a minute to, and thirty seconds. No, no, you have a minute. You have up to a minute. But if you can answer them in less than a minute, that's a awesome. minute per question. A minute per yeah. question. Oh, okay, that's better. I thought you were saying like a minute total. No, oh, no, a minute no. per question. Answer like, all ten questions in a, in sixty seconds. That's and if I do it in sixty seconds, do I get my twenty five dollar check? You get a twenty five dollar <laughs> check and a hug. Um, but so we'll answer you. We'll ask you the questions. These are tough, difficult questions. Life altering questions. Life altering questions. I'm ready. Know. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Enough, Lupe. Thank Take you. a deep breath. Here we go. And the lightning round. Three things you need to write: paper, pen. Drinks. <laughs> what kind of drink? Lemonade. Oh, it's my favorite. Boring. <laughs> uh, dang. Spikes lemonade was that better? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Spikes lemonade. For me. 
amount of time it takes you to memorize a poem? Uh, three days, exactly. What? Yeah, three like down days. to a science? Yes. First day is half poem. Second day is half poem. Third day is memorize the whole thing together. Three days. Wow. Next, farthest you have driven for a slam competition? Uh, Madison, Wisconsin, from Houston. How long was that? Twenty six hours. You drove by by yourself. I didn't drive by myself. Oh, but I did drive. (gasps) Weirdest request as a poet laureate. Uh, dang, I don't know that one. There hasn't been that many weird. I would say the mayor asked me to write a poem fifteen minutes before our show, so that's probably the weirdest. What was the show about? It was him introducing me as poet laureate. Yeah, why not? Let's go from the. (laughs) Let's (laughs) Let's just start it off there. (laughs) Sure, thanks, Mary Turner. I love you too. Longest you've worked on a poem? Mm, seven years. Ooh, five right. years. I mean, right. it's kind of one of those things you walk away from and you come back and you walk away from and you come back. Yeah, it's a long time. Are you probably, still working on that same poem? Probably. It's <laughs> 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 probably still not done. I mean. Mm. I have a tough one. <clears throat> I think I know what you're going to say, but California or Texas? California. Well, well go ah, back, you hippie. Wait, then go, go back. So wait, wait, wait. Can I? California quickly, but like if you ask me which one I wanted to live in right now, it would be Texas because California has no water and they have weird gas leaks and they have like they have a lot of problems right now. I love you, Cali. I miss your beaches and your in and out, but like right now, I'd probably pick Texas. We love you. In and out. Three in things you out. miss from California in and out, beaches, and <laughs> my family, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Another hard one okay. it's for the books, and I don't know if your husband will like you after this one, but we'll see. <sighs> Marvel or DC? Mm, in what you see, you have to. Have no, to no, 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 Television, I'm nope. going DC. If it's movies, I'm going Marvel. That's oh. like that's how I divide it. So it's not by like certain characters. It's like the the vessel in which it's living in. I think DC has sucky movies. I think Marvel doesn't do so well with TV. Like it's just like so. That's my answer. All right, I can deal with Worst that. Baby, I score you've ever gotten. Oh yeah, I got this. Three point five. Oh, what, what did you read? What was that? Uh, I, I read a poem. I mean, it got a 10 the same round. Like, it oh. just, somebody just didn't like what I had to say. I mean, it happens. Four, 3.5. What do you do when, like, that happens? Like, do you, like, scowl? I, now, I laugh. Now, it's hilarious. And back, back then? Back then, I would get angry and wait outside for the person. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do anything. That's awesome. more, I definitely would wait around just to stare give them down. the scowl. Yeah, absolutely. That's down. hilarious. Absolutely. Um, if you had to take a book on vacation, which one would you take? Not or not take. take. I can't read which one book. would I not take? Yes. Like you have a ton of books. You're going to take a bunch of books, but that's the one book you're not taking. Um, I would probably not take... Anything by Chester Himes. I really don't like his work. Oh, wow. That sounds mean. Like, I shouldn't say that out loud. It's no. Like, okay. meet this person. That's all right. No, just not a not a real <laughs> fan of, um, not a real fan of his work. Even in college, not a fan. And then lastly, I have a question, Lightning Rounds, because people sometimes want to know, who are you reading right now? Right now, I'm reading Nikki Giovanni, because I just got this brand new book. <laughs> Dope. Yeah, I, that's what I've cracked up. And my friend Jasmine Mendez gave me a book that I haven't opened yet. So she's looking at me, waiting for me to say the no, name of it. No, it's enough. Take I have, your time. I have not gotten there yet. Um, okay. And Terrence Hayes. Yes. Terrence Hayes makes me feel good. Not like that. Terrence, <laughs> I, I love you. Wow. It's not even, we were going there I at all. We were high schoolers. I know. The kids are like, what was that, miss? Right. <laughs> I thought you married me. So like, no. Terrence Hayes, miss. Right. So no, Terrence Hayes right now is um, giving me all the inspiration. And, and of course, Nikki G has been there for years. I have one more difficult question. Yes. This is this is an extra like lightning round question. Um, 
In or out or Whataburger? Oh, in and out. This is not a question. Mm, not a question. In and out. out. We've never had. That's What's the closest? Hamburgers. All about. Yeah, there's a theme. Maybe they should sponsor <laughs> this podcast. What? All right, I so should. we'll leave it wow. on that. <laughs> Where's the nearest In and Out here in Texas? Do you know? Dallas. I thought it was yeah, oh, I know exactly. That's where not it is. Have you gone? Uh, I don't think. I think that we're building one in Austin. I don't think it's there yet. I've gone. What have you had? Eh. The same thing I always have. Which is? It's not on the menu because there's a secret menu in and out. You and you're not going to tell everybody. I tell you. Oh. I do a grilled cheese, sometimes animal style, with some fries and a pink lemonade. Okay, wait. Back what the hell up. What the, what the fuck is animal style? <laughs> Why you got to cuss on me, though? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> uh, animal style means it has car- caramelized onions on it. It's just amazing. Like on it, not in it. No, in it. Like, you're not in on it. top of the grilled cheese, but like in it. But the, the grilled cheese is made on hamburger buns that are buttered and moist and like buttery awesome you can make the face i don't care <laughs> it's really good just, she said caramelized onions and moist two two things that i caramelized onions lettuce and cheese only grilled cheese and, cheese and you could make the face i don't know what's happening in that sandwich anymore I see, but it's really really good that's actually i think that might be appealing i might have to try that we will drive to dallas and go try this i'm just saying if you drive to dallas do some other things like don't just go for that no no no. i'm but just gonna go there maybe visit you know we'll poet tammy gomez while we're out there there's it. you know you can go see dallas poetry slam they're pretty amazing oh, that's um, true. and they're wonderful people and i love them hi rage hi candy what's up lastly before we head out any upcoming events you want houston the world to know about absolutely so um one you could follow me at live life deep to find out all my things that's important um Duh. at houston VIP Slam. Uh, I run a monthly Slam series here in the city of Houston. And then like the most recent thing that is happening right now is um, I'm leading a women's workshop series for the month of March um, with the Houston Public Library at the Smith Library. It's going to be Thursday nights from 6 to 7.30. And you can come and have like a nice little conversation. We'll do a writing workshop. It's absolutely free. And I would love to have you all there. First time you. I am hearing about this. Well, that's a good thing that you're just are, now are hearing about friends? it. Are we friends? Oh my God. We why are. are you, why are you doing <laughs> this? Did you see my calendar before we started? This? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I don't notify you of all the things. You just, because then you were throwing offense like, oh my God, she keeps inviting me to everything. Oh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Somehow, you know what? I'm happy that you're taking advantage of that excuse because yes. I want you to I enjoy. I only got like four more months that I can say enjoy that. Because now my excuse is, but I have a one-year-old. No, so. that's good. That's <laughs> good. Go. So, folks, you've been listening to us talk to Deborah Deep Mouton, Houston's second, third, third. third. I always get that messed up. Uh, third Houston poet laureate. Um, first black female. First black female. First black poet laureate. Because we've all had, yeah, we've had three women. Yep. Poet laureates. Um, it's a pleasure to get to talk to you this way. I love you both. And we love you to death. You have to come over for Cards Against Humanity very soon. Yep, I would say a word, but I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on this show. Yes, you can cuss. I Bitches. just cuss. <laughs> All right. Bitches. <laughs> is the answer to every to card every in card. Cards Against Humanity. Try it, guys. Try it at home. Uh, okay, so we will talk to you at a little point because we're going to take a real quick break to end the thing. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> no, You're listening could, to Inkwell. <laughs> So on our next episode of Inkwell, we are going to have the former Houston Poet Laureate, Dr. Robin Davidson. And she'll be chatting with us about her project, which was Houston's favorite poem anthology. So we're excited to have her on the air next time. And after that, we should be scheduling an interview for the 20th anniversary of Nuestra Palabra Latino Writers having their say uh, with fiction writer uh, and pundit Tony Diaz, uh, who lives here in Houston 
And so we should have like another set of really great shows. Our season's not even done, folks. Like this was just episode three. So if you have not followed us before, please join us. Uh, Thanks to everybody at Imprint. Thanks to everybody who's listening to us. And we will see you. I mean, hear you. I mean, you hear us. We'll catch you on the interwebs. Somewhere uh, next time. Bye. Say bye, Deep. Bye. Bye. Later. Live live deep. Listening to Inkwell, a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint in Houston, Texas, a city with a wellspring of literary activity. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Kristen Flack, Rich Levy, and Krupa Parikh of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Josh Walker with 150 Media House. Inkwell is made possible by a grant from the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information, visit imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. For feedback on this and future episodes, email inkwell at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.